1: Welcome to the Kind Parenting Company podcast. I'm Jackie Ward. And I'm Kylie Camps. Join us as we explore topics and share evidence-based information, all while honouring our commitment to kind parenting practices. This is a safe space for conversation and reflections on parenting and motherhood, designed to best support you in raising your little loves and to be the parent you want to be. We are so excited that you're here, let's jump into today's episode. Hello and welcome back to the podcast. This week I am chatting all about roughhousing or rough and tumble play, which is something or a topic I know that many parents grapple with, particularly as their children get older. Um, It can be one of those things that we find ourselves having to navigate perhaps almost unexpectedly sometimes. I have brought in uh, the perfect person to have this conversation with me today. She can offer both uh, expertise from a personal and professional standpoint, and that person is Alita Blanchard. Alita is the mother of four boys and is a conscious parent coach. Through her work, she offers parent coaching programs, both online and in person, as well as women's and mother's circles. Alita is really passionate about creating a safe space for mothers to feel heard and seen in the intensity of their motherhood journey. Through her work, she supports and guides mothers in their transformation through motherhood and helps to bring awareness to their own needs and emotions so that they can feel more aligned, aware and connected to both themselves and their children which I just love. She does all of her work with lots of self-compassion and imperfection and is so generous in sharing her own parenting experiences in her work too so no doubt we will cover that in our discussion today. Welcome Alita.
0: Thank you Jackie. I so appreciate you having me along and love to talk about this Very important subject and Mm. knowing also how difficult it is, especially for mothers to get down and rumble and rough play. So yeah, it's good to dive into that. And yeah, as you mentioned, I'm a mother. I've got three living boys and a little boy in the stars as well. So I've been through a big journey in the 11 years of mothering with loving those early years and also noticing that I had a lot of anger and rage that came up and that really shocked me and that took me on a big growth journey towards Aware parenting and eventually conscious parenting and understanding nervous system and my own attachment wounds Mm -hmm. and also the journey of losing my son in pregnancy and going to the total pits of despair, of grief that it brings up uh, has, again, sent me to a new layer of awareness and diving deeper into my own parenting journey so I could show up for my boys because, you know, motherhood is one of my top values and I wasn't, aligned with those values when um yeah when I was in really tough seasons so that's why I'm Mm -hmm. here holding space for mothers and always holding space for myself so that I can do it for my children as well because they they need us to show up for them and hold space for all of their well some of their feelings not all of the feelings children have a lot of feelings (laughs) right (laughs) and it's messy and I think that's really important to get across in this work these days is you know parenting is messy and we all want to be this sort of perfect mother but she does not exist Yes. and we need to keep breaking down some of the um the stereotypes that are out there especially on social media so yeah. thank you for having yeah. me along i deeply appreciate it oh and
1: i deeply appreciate you being here i feel like you do such a beautiful job of modeling um this this approach that obviously you talk about you you practice but you live as well and i that's what i really appreciate the way that you show up with honesty and authenticity i suppose um yeah well while, while sharing what you've been through on your journey it really offers a lot Mm-hmm. Um, as you say, I feel like there's no more fertile ground for self-growth than motherhood. It certainly presents us with all of the opportunities and all of the depths, as you say, to to do this work. So it's it's beautiful to hear you talk about that. Um, so. Rough and tumble play. Mm. (laughs) This is something I know you and I have spoken about. We both have um, young men that we are raising. It is a big part of both of our lives. Maybe just so we're all on the same page and anyone listening um, is tuning in, can you – Just talk about what are we talking about here, rough and tumble play.
0: So rough and tumble play, often called roughhousing and in um, particular philosophies it might be called play listening. It's things that, you know, all quite often happen naturally within parenting. So wrestling, play fighting, chasing, tumbling, um, pillow fighting, jumping on the bed with our children, piggyback rides, playing tag or tip airplane rides, pushing games, all of these sort of rough, full physical contact games that our kids love but often can end in tears. And Mm -hmm. I think especially for mums we need to be really aware of how, you know, it brings up a lot of triggers but there's so many beautiful benefits to roughhousing which um, we'll go through. But, you know, it's physical contact. It's the stuff that brings the laughter. It helps to release emotions and it's really, really powerful in parenting and Mm -hmm. it's often hard.
1: Yes. So I've noticed with my boys, they're seven and five now and very, very much into this kind of play. It's like it is instinctual for them. Would you say that's the case for kids? Like they just, is it—is it all children? Is it an age thing? What do we, when do we see this type of play yeah. come about?
0: Well, all, all kids need it. You know, we are animals really. And we see, you know, when you see puppies and kittens and animals in the wild, they play fight. And that's exactly what our kids need to do as well. And we see, you know, right from an early age, the toddlers and the babies doing their rough and tumble play. And it might be by themselves tumbling off the couch and tumbling into pillows and loving it when mum and dad get involved. And it's often quite easy for us in those early years with our babies and our toddlers to get involved. And, you know, we catch them in our arms and do run and chase and, and everything, Um What I find happens often is usually the mums with mums and dads with maybe a four year old and a two year old have really started to get a lot rougher with each other. That starts to bring up a lot of fear in um, Mm -hmm. in mums in particular because there is a lot of fear around the anger and aggression. But it is normal and it's healthy and it needs lots of boundaries. You know, so mm. we need to stay close. The reality is, is that when our children are little, we do need to stay close to them. And also yes. sometimes that's impossible. So hence we yes. need lots of self-compassion when someone gets hurt. But absolutely I mean my lived experience is raising boys you know I've got three boys and they're 10 9 and 6 and they are rough and they love it you know they get amongst the play fighting they do wrestling they've done some martial arts but more it's just you know outside in nature and in our home cushions everywhere and (laughs) you know it's on the regular it's beautiful for them it's healthy physical release and it almost always ends in tears. Yes. Okay.
1: okay. I love that you said that because that is certainly my experience too. Um, I remember sort of saying to my husband, looking at them and saying, you know, they seem to love this so much. And yet every time it ends in somebody being upset or annoyed or tears. Um, so it's like they've got these little magnets in their hands. They just can't help themselves. But, to you know, as they are even when they're not playing, they're just walking past the other one or one's on the couch watching TV the other one will come and bomb on him and pull him yeah. off. So what are the benefits of this kind of play? Why why is it that they love it so much?
0: Well, you know, there's the benefits of physical contact obviously, like we all feel that, you know, that physical connection. We need physical touch. It's a love language. It's one of the five love languages and physical touch, you know, it gets attention. It, you know, brings on that somatic awareness in our nervous system and it helps to move big feelings. And, you know, it's wonderful when it's done with mum and dad, but siblings are the perfect opportunity to move big feelings. Now Mm -hmm. what that looks like is, you know, one son or daughter walking past the other one and bopping them on the head. It's (laughs) not great (laughs) and it's going to bring the tears, but the reality is normal. Most of the time it's pretty healthy. Maybe it's a behaviour that's showing you that there's an unmet need. It's like, oh, actually they've got some feelings that need to be moved what can I do to come in and pay attention to my children right now, and to build connection and to help them move those feelings in a safer way? So obviously, a lot of this stuff that we're talking around—play and moving feelings and um, roughhousing—can become aggression, and we can look, can look at it then and go, "What are my children needing?" to move these big feelings in their body. Because a lot of that stuff that comes up in children around, you know, aggression is like the, a dysregulated nervous system that's saying, I need to move these feelings out of my body. It's not bad. It's not wrong. Mm. But we fear it, right? As, especially when, the you know, a sweet baby becomes the toddler and suddenly they're hitting, <laughs> biting, scratching, they're acting out, they're screaming. All of that is usually just their, their nervous system or their body's best way of releasing their feelings. Yeah. But when it comes back to the play and the roughhousing, great to do it with mum and dad. Very normal for siblings to, you know, get into play fights. Absolutely, it's healthy, but we're going to need to stay close and help um, help them understand, you know, over time that the boundaries have to be clear. They've got to use a very clear word. And also knowing that it takes a lot of practice to, you know, for these boundaries to really... I guess, integrate in their brain. It takes Mm. practice and parenting is a long game, you know, and their brains aren't fully developed until they're around 25 years old. And we expect them to know the boundary by rote by the age of five. It's like, that's not realistic. But, um, you know, roughhousing burns energy, great to do before bedtime, a really um, healthy way to release aggression. And aggression is not something to be feared. Like it is just healthy aggression. It's life force energy. But we're Mm. so terrified of it. I see all these mums saying, my child's violent. It's like, he's not violent. He's three. (laughs) He's not violent. And he's probably not going to be a psychopath. He just has healthy aggression (laughs) in his body. Let him roar and hit and scream and bite. But obviously, find ways to get that out in a way that keeps you and baby and whoever else is in the family safe.
1: Yes, yes.
0: And roughhousing, it definitely builds connection, especially between the parents and the child. If it's the children, you know, getting into these, um, you know, roughhousing moments and it's ending in tears, then yeah, it can get triggering and we've got to obviously find other ways to help them get the feelings out if it's becoming more aggressive rather than fun. But, you know, there's always a fine line and uh, it depends also on the energy in the home. So, you know, Mm. if mum and dad are pretty stressed and dysregulated and the kids are, you know, roughhousing a lot and it's always ending up in tears, we're probably needing to look at how dysregulated everyone is. And Mm. I think, you know, this is why we need to talk about um, normalizing roughhousing and rough play, normalizing healthy aggression and just removing some of the fear, especially for us women that we have around, you know, around rough play because it's definitely there.
1: Yeah. yeah. Oh, it's big. it's such, a big
0: topic. <laughs> it's
1: so big and my mind is like spinning with all the things I want to talk to you about. Let me just follow on from what you just finished with there though. The fact that sometimes or often I'll go out and say this kind of play is triggering for parents. Yeah. And if I yeah. can just share my own experience with that, with complete honesty, when the boys started to play this way, which was happening all the time, and look, to be honest, if I look back it was kind of their mode of play with um, their dad, From a very young age, but it's getting now really physical, I suppose, as they're getting bigger and stronger and I can't just, you know, pick one up and plop him down anymore. Um, I did find it triggering. Mm. In particular, you touched a minute ago on um rough play before bed, rough housing before bed. For me, my default response to that would be like, Oh no, shut it down, shut it down. We're not doing this before bed. We're all meant to be winding down, what's happening? Whereas now that I know what I know about it and the Purposes that it serves and the way, you know, that it can be um, appropriately done. It's actually such a beautiful release for the boys before bed.
0: (laughs) Can we talk about that
1: first? Tell us about why, you know, that sounds a bit counterintuitive perhaps to some people. It
0: does. We're so conditioned and there's so much information out there from right from when you have the young baby to, you know, have this beautiful wind down, calming process and lower the lights and have nice smells and do a baby massage. And that's all wonderful. (laughs) (laughs) But the reality is when that baby becomes a toddler, they've got big energy coming up in their body. And the, the wind down process is absolutely still golden. Like that's a really beautiful way to settle a nervous system, you know, To and it depends on the child as well, what their sensory needs are. But before you move to wind down, have the wind up, have the release, because the reality is, is that our children hold on to so many feelings during the day, especially if they go off to daycare, um, to preschools, or they're spending time with with other people or they're just at home a lot and they're not doing a lot, you know, enough time out in nature, it's raining a lot, they're gonna be holding on to a lot of energy in their body, a lot of feelings in their body. Let's release it at bedtime. Because that five minutes, and it doesn't need to be much, it could be five mm-hmm. minutes of chase around the kitchen or, you know, um, we used to play one called run crash where we'd hold up pillows and just get them to run into us. Like, you know, a rugby player, full speed. And they loved yeah. it. Yeah, I tried it to so get my good. partner to do it. I was, I'm not, I was not keen, but you know, in the <laughs> nights where it had to be me, it was actually beautiful because I was down on the floor with them feeling that connection. So I was in alignment with my values, but you know, five minutes of doing that rough play before bed. And then we called time Quite often what would happen is some tears will come up because they don't want to finish, right? They're having a great time. They're laughing. They're getting energy out. I would call time on it. Sometimes I would have a timer on, and that's mm-hmm. when the tears would come. And this is the gold, right? This is the healthy emotional release. Like a lot of my work is around, you know, the, the healing power of tears, of tantrums, of meltdowns. They need to come up and out of the body, They are the body's way of releasing painful feelings, of of feeling heard and seen and witnessed. This is how we build that secure attachment. So when we call time on a game and the tears come up, that's the healing, that's the release. But here's what comes up for most of us. Oh, I've just played with you and now you're crying. It's never enough. You always want more of me. And then we might have a story playing out like, oh, I just can't do this. I'm so low, like whatever the story that comes up for us. And I think a part of that is the little girl often within us. And I know this plays out for some dads as well. Like you're never happy, you're selfish. I've just played with you and you still want more because often that's what we were told as children. Yes. So we can connect a lot of our triggers our activation in our body. I mean obviously also it's the end of the day. Let's be realistic. We're exhausted, we're tapped <laughs> out. <laughs> but the gold here is that if we spend that five minutes in play, and then maybe two or three or five minutes listening to some tears. Now yeah. obviously this can go awry, but generally five minutes play, five minutes of tears, that could save you the half hour of whinging, whining, bedtime resistance, mummy, yeah. I don't want to go to bed, I want a glass of water. Like I hear that that happens in so many homes yes. and it's half an hour to an hour trying to get their kids to sleep. It's like why don't you try the intense rough housing play, the rumbling play, good for you to get on the floor, do a stretch as well at the same time while you're down there, feel the connection, that body connection, move the feelings for you and them, listen yes. to some tears and then yes. see how bedtime goes. Yes. it's not some um, miracle cure there's a lot no. of nuance but mm. you know we need to consider a different way
1: yeah i would suggest that it actually it it is so effective because that was mm. our experience we had the half an hour to an hour of i need a drink i need to go to the toilet yes. can i sleep in your bed in and out in and out Whereas when we do this, so we have a, a little routine now, it's called bed bombing, and they all come in on our big bed and we just sort of do big jumps of bombs onto pillows, onto the bed, and they crash about and tumble and laugh and knock each other off the bed and, you know, it's all, yeah, it's all monitored it. there. But the difference that it makes, and, and they always resist finishing up, of course they do because they love it, <laughs> and they, you know, but... We push through that little resistance, we listen to them, hold the space for them to complain, and then off they go. And generally they are so much more satisfied than yeah. if we were to be saying settle down, settle down, settle down over the course yeah. of half an hour. It's just a completely different dynamic. You mentioned about um, the experience of tears or resistance to ending that kind of play being totally normal. And I want to touch on that because I feel like that is also a very deeply held or conditioning that many of us have that to think, or to resist that and think, oh, I don't I can't deal with that. Don't want to deal mm-hmm. with that. That's upsetting for me. Um, you know the wonderful. I'm sure you know her work, Alison Davies from mm-hmm. Brains Equals Behavior. I Amazing. never forget something she taught me. She said, "Energy, no, emotion is energy in motion." Yeah. And mm-hmm. if we can come at that kind of emotion, an emotional expression without fear, without the automatic resistance to it and just accept that, you know, they're disappointed, Mm. they don't want to put, you know, they're probably tired too, overtired by this stage and that that's okay. Mm. I feel like that opens up so much more space for this experience as well. Yeah. Would you agree?
0: Oh, absolutely. I mean, this this is the big part of the work, right? And whether you follow aware parenting, conscious parenting, gentle parenting, at the end of the day, most of them are all about listening to feelings. And that is when the tears come up, and then when the tantrums come up and the meltdowns come up, that is the healthy release of feelings out of the body. Mm. And we all need that. The reason I hold mother's circles is because, you know, for us to be able to listen to our children's feelings, we need someone listening to ours. Yes. And a lot of people simply don't have capacity. Now, obviously, this can tie into, you know, our own attachment wounds, um, a lot to do with our childhood. This is why, you know, in my work I call it conscious parenting, A lot of my work is about looking back at the way we were raised and making sense of ourselves, building a coherent narrative. Why, when my baby is crying, do I want to? Do I get to this place of fear and anxiety, or do I get so angry? You know, Mm -hmm. I hear so often women saying, "I just, I wanted to throw my baby; Mm -hmm. they just would not stop crying." Right? This fear we have of listening to tears, and then the tantrums can bring on a whole new. You know, layer of overwhelm and it's really dysregulating yeah. and we can hear that we need to listen to tears and we want to listen to tantrums we can hear all of that but the reality is it can bring up so much pain and fear and anxiety within us and mm-hmm. that is the healing work that's the growth part of motherhood that we all really need especially if you have an insecure attachment yourself which mm-hmm. around 45 percent of us do this is the big work this is why i recommend to everyone do some therapy. Go to counselling. Get a coach. Organise listening time. Find a supportive space to feel um, to for you to feel heard, for you mm-hmm. to feel less alone, mm-hmm. so that you can build capacity. And what that means is, you know, build that ability to regulate your nervous system so that then you can hold space for your child, you know, so that you can provide them with that beautiful listening. Mm. And that's hard. That's hard because we're exhausted, depleted mothers and it takes time and money to get all of these, you know, to make space even for therapy and counseling and parent coaching, listening time, like let's be really realistic, that takes a lot of time and juggle to even make, I found that hard when I had three little boys under five. I was like, Mm. I really need therapy and to go to the circle, but I just can't do it. So I have no family support. So, you know, there's so much nuance to this work, but in those, um, in those um, examples, you know, just allowing yourself to cry. Yeah. I mean, yeah, the the women that come to my circle so often, you know, they'll start crying, They, they have this space to, we open the space to just listen to feelings and the tears come. And so often the women are wiping away their tears. I'm so sorry. I don't usually cry. I'm a silly woman. I'm like, here we go. Here's the conditioning we've been raised in in a society. We know that we want to listen to our baby's tears and our children's tears and their feelings, but we can't even feel our own. Yes, I'm moving off onto a different topic, Uh, but I can't not. It's so important to get this out. Like you're, we need to feel. We need to come out of this numb, you know, highly functional freeze state that most of Mm. us are in, and learn to feel so that we can teach our children to. This is emotional Mm. intelligence.
1: Oh you speak you speaking the same language as me in my perfect world that kind of support would be mandatory and government funded because yes. that i mean yes. imagine that and how differently things would play out for mothers for family dynamics for society like yeah if we could be prime um, minister for a day that would be first on the agenda yes. um but there really is no parenting work without self work i mean when people that have present with you know issues or parenting you know difficulties that they're struggling with it always i would say comes back to self-work as well like you touched on so can we talk strategy for a minute if a parent finds this roughhousing play triggering you know that it sends them to a place of fear anxiety anger even or just dysregulates them in some way that they find they cannot tolerate it what would you suggest how do we approach that
0: oh this is the big work right (laughs) First of all, it's noticing, it's noticing that I've, you know, I'm triggered in my body. I'm feeling dysregulated. I've got fear coming up. I mean, this is where we all need to find our own way to do this, you know, this deeper inner work Um, making an observation of what's going on with our children. You know, starting really simply, like my children are fighting and having a good time. And I was really scared. I'm really scared that they're going to get hurt. I'm scared. I'm going to lose my child. Um, I don't want to go to hospital because parking's really bad. Like that mm-hmm. used to come up for me. Yeah. I was like, we cannot get parking at hospital tonight. No, you're not fighting. <laughs> like just straight up realities. But then noticing what comes up and like, oh, this is fear here. And providing ourselves with empathy. You're mm-hmm. allowed to feel this fear. You're allowed to have these feelings. Or, you know, quite often for me, absolutely, and, you know, some really tough seasons, you know, the season of postnatal depression and then grief, a lot of anger and rage just came spilling out all the time. And, you know, I would yell at my kids. I would scream at them some days. It was horrendous. And I was like, you know, I've been following all this work of gentle parenting, mindful mm. parenting, peaceful parenting, and then I wasn't that. So not only was I yelling or screaming, then I was feeling like an incredible failure. Mm -hmm. you know so I would I remember the days of you know dragging myself to the laundry and just being fetal position on the floor and bawling my eyes out and and then feeling the shame of crying like oh my god I'm crying I must be depressed again oh Mm -hmm. I'm gonna have to make space for therapy and on and on it went Mm -hmm. I can speak about that so openly now because I've been through that messiness I see so many of my clients going through it and it is just brutally hard yeah what helped the most for me was learning about self-compassion and it's it's so easy to say right but it is a foreign concept to most women what is Mm. self-compassion talking to yourself as you would a dear friend you're enough you can do hard things we all make mistakes but we can, you know, we can get so stuck up in our mind and say those things and still not really believe them. And this is that deeper work. So it's learning about self-compassion, self-empathy, forgiveness. We're allowed to have hard days. We're allowed to be fetal position on the floor in the laundry, and you're still a good mum.
1: Yeah.
0: Noticing, and then obviously, you know, the work is like, you know, doing journaling. Like, you know, for some people they love journaling. It's not really been my buzz. I need to talk to another human being I've realized that that's because I need another regulated adult like a therapist Um, you know I've I've now got two therapists two parent coaches and a bunch of listening partners that's the only way I can do the work I do to hold space for mums and my three children in a pandemic you know we need support systems Um, there was no way I could have done any of that in the early days of motherhood so I really want to um just normalize, you know, the nuance of that, how hard it is to find those people. But for some, if you don't have access to, you know, to getting therapy or counseling or support systems, then journal out, you know, when you can spend some time uh, in solitude, which is hard, right? You know, you're exhausted by the end of the day, but just journal for, you know, one minute I was yeah. so angry at my kids and I was so scared. And, and you know, Johnny always, you know, is the aggressive one and I'm worried that he's going to turn into be this violent man and just journal all out. Yeah. And then, you know, if you can, make some space to speak to someone about that, you know, a listening partner, a supportive friend and also acknowledging how hard it can be. Like what I'm really noticing coming up for a lot of mothers at the moment is they're terrified to be vulnerable with people in their community because they don't want to be judged we yes. have this deep need to be accepted and appreciated and we want to feel part of the mother's group and the play group and so we don't want to say, well, I yelled at my kid and I screamed in their face and and yes. I had all these feelings of fear and terror because then I won't be able to go to the mother's group and be accepted. Right? Yes, so and I sometimes- think that's,
1: that's the natural tendency to either not be vulnerable at all, or to water it down, to make it a little yes. bit more sanitary, our experience. Oh, I was so cranky this morning. I really was cranky. Whereas what you want to say is I completely lost it. Like I yeah. scared myself, part of me. Mm-hmm. And, um, you know, my sister and I have this joke because we've done a lot of this kind of work ourselves and we joke about the way we used to be. We had this expression, fine, fine, everything's fine, totally fine. And we say that to each other now when we look like we may be, you know, resisting being vulnerable. So I would encourage anyone listening to know yes. that it's okay not to be fine, fine, mm. all the time. Yeah. Um, you know, I think we're conditioned to look for magic bullets or to, you know, I even know when I asked you that question, can you just give me like a couple of quick strategies that will work? And I don't think, like you said, it's so it's so much more nuanced than that. But if there were to be something, I would suggest that this grace for yourself and, mm. you, know, you know, self-compassion would probably be up there. I think it's so critical. So I yeah. love that you've talked about that. And Alita, if we can, just indulge me for a minute, my need to ask, what about strategies for managing rough play? Because as you said, sometimes roughhousing accelerates or gets out of hand. I have yeah. one of the boys in particular is always the one to overset boundaries and take it too far. Mm. How can parents or mothers set up boundaries? They How do we set up boundaries that we feel comfortable with and, and what would you suggest that we can manage so that it doesn't become dangerous?
0: yeah <laughs> oh a big topic as well I mean <laughs> at the very simple level you're going to have to, you know in a perfect world you would probably have a family circle or a family meeting and <clears throat> you would come up with some guidelines and agreement and these are our family values and these are the boundaries and um you know in reality I mean I always say do family circles do you think I've ever actually sat down and done a family circle and it's gone well <laughs> I've got three boys they get bored and you know um but in the moment, it's checking in regularly. Saying something, staying close and asking, is everyone enjoying this? Is everyone enjoying this? And noticing, because you can usually tell in someone's body, or you can usually start to feel in, this isn't, this is going too far. And, you know, my eldest, he's 10, he is, you know, he's a quick one to get dysregulated and move quickly into aggression. So I have to stay close. And, and we've had some really difficult years with him because of some trauma in our family. And so I need to stay close and I can be very aware of when the body changes. And that's when I step in with a body boundary. Now I know for a lot of mothers, they hear that and they're like, oh, but then I'll get hurt. And I'm like, yeah, ma'am, but you're an adult and you can go and tend to yourself. And may I've been I've been headbutted once or twice. It's full yeah. on raising yeah. boys. You know, it's just the reality, but you're the adult. You can step in with that body boundary and you can tend to yourself afterwards. Obviously, as our kids get a bit bigger that's that the idea of that feels scarier and sometimes someone's just going to get hurt and you know we just have to make you know to a certain extent peace with that and go sometimes people are going to get hurt and it's a i have never had broken arms or any blood and i've got three mm-hmm. boys and they've had plenty of battles so you know but <laughs> i have always had to stay close and there have absolutely been times where because you know the moment someone's triggered or dysregulated their brain goes completely offline, remembering they don't have a fully developed brain until they're 25 to 28 years old, Mm -hmm. you know. So the minute someone's dysregulated, they're triggered, they're activated, whatever word you want to use, boom, they're gone. All the rules are out of the head. So that's your job as the regulated, hopefully regulated adult to step in and it may be you putting a body in between them, separating them into different spaces. Sometimes I've had to like almost drag one of my sons into a different room, like Mm -hmm. I don't use timeout or anything, but it's just like I need you in a safe space. I'm going to go and tend to the other person. I'll be back with you in a minute. Mm -hmm. This is also where since I've learned more about nervous system science is where I bring in uh, regulation tools. So, um, you know, we are all so different in our bodies and our nervous systems with what helps us to come back to a place of regulation my kids are all loving crunching on cold ice these days so Uh in right in the moment of really big feelings you know I just need to be present and and as regulated as possible within my body but after a moment of listening to the feelings and keeping everyone safe that's when I usually go let's get some cold ice and we're just gonna sit down and just take a moment yeah And what I'm doing in that moment is I'm focusing on my long exhales because it's that long exhale that helps to bring our nervous system back to a sense of safety. Mm -hmm. And the crunching on the cold ice is just a winner for my three children. One of them was resistant, but he's on board now too. Now, that's not going to work for every kid, but I share it with everyone now because it's been a lifesaver in our home. It just helps to settle the nervous system down when it's really activated. Um, You know, and the other key is, you know, making sure that everyone is, um, okay, so sometimes, you know, your kids are going to get hurt, focusing on, you know, just holding that space, being that body boundary, not shaming or blaming everyone. And I know this is hard. There have been absolutely times where I've seen my elder one, who is a lot bigger than the others, come in way too rough, and I have gone into shame and blame. You know, Mm -hmm. it's a natural tendency because often, again, coming back to our own, the own way we were raised, we were so often shamed. And blamed for whatever our behaviors were. So it's just the first place we go. Just yes. notice that. Oh, you, you know, it might be words like, oh my God, you're so rough and you're so violent and you're always picking on him and you're never gonna make any friends if you keep acting like that. You know, with the stories we start to go into, right? Mm-hmm. Doesn't serve anyone. So just yes. noticing what comes up and again being in awareness, doing some journaling around it, taking that to a listening partner and inventing and, and downloading the fears. Um, other boundaries, you know, it's coming up with it. I mean, stop is the most perfect word, right? You know, making it clear that when someone yells stop, that's the boundary, okay, and practicing it again and again and again. Um, You know, and having rules around, you know, what parts of the body can be be used, like so you can do grabbing, pushing, squeezing, but it's to be between the shoulders and the hips, you know, and it's never okay to grab the face and the neck or to kick someone. You know, every family is different, depends on whether you do martial arts or sports. You know, my kids are all into footy and, and sports now. Um, so, you know, some new skills come in and one was doing jiu-jitsu for a while. So he tries to practice those moves and I'm like, there is not enough cushioning in our home to practice your jiu-jitsu here. And, you know, just knowing that I have to be present for that and then sometimes I'm not. They all take it to the trampoline. Yes. Oh, my gosh, the things oh. that happen down the trampoline. But, again, there's been no broken bones or blood. So that's a win. (laughs) But there's been plenty of tears. Yes, that was the experience of our travelling too. I think it's
1: so key what you said about being present because if we are there, and I I know that that's hard, like I'm, I'm a realist too, there's going to be times when you can't just be sitting there on the periphery supervising but perhaps as you are, you know, Everybody in the family is getting comfortable with this kind of play, with boundaries, how it's going to look. I think being there is so important. Um, We are the ones that are going to intuit or to notice when it's, you know, spiralling into something that's too rough or too dangerous. And if we can head that off before it gets there, it's not always going to be possible. But when we can, I feel like that's really the secret. Um, I love what you talked about in terms of having a word stop, being perfect for that because this is really, you know, learning that can be generalised so so much wider than just yeah. within our homes about body safety, about mm-hmm. um, autonomy and, yeah, I think that this is a really rich learning experience too for kids. Um, but like you say, it's not going to be something that they learn that strategy once and everyone respects it and off you go. If that happens in your home, incredible. Maybe we <laughs> you yeah. can film that for us and send it in. Um <laughs> But it's likely to be something that needs to be learnt and learnt and learnt again, and that's okay. That's normal Mm -hmm. and to be expected, right?
0: Yeah, absolutely. You know, I think the key reminder here to everyone is that parenting is a long game, you know, and you're going to have to teach boundaries and rules and ideals and values again and again and again and again. And you might have them all like really well in place at 10, 11, 12 years old. And then our kids go through this massive brain rewiring and they kind of go offline in their teens. And it's like, they had all these wonderful skills <laughs> and they knew the boundaries and now they're gone. I'm like, yep, that's the brain. Yeah. You know, but we blame ourselves, we blame them, we we'll go, why is, he, you know, why is he just not learning the thing? It's because they're little.
1: Yeah. You know, they I feel are like so is, little. Yeah. I feel like that is solid parenting advice. Generally speaking, not just when it comes to roughhousing, mm. to know parenting is a long game. And I know myself and, and so many girlfriends have said, you know, clearly I'm just, it's not working. I'm not doing it right. We make that assumption, but you are doing it right. It just involves serious repetition and many learning experiences. And I think knowing that and truly mm. knowing that um, helps with that self compassion and grace part too, because then yeah. we, you know, and, terms of our ability to get up and keep going the next day so yes. um I love that advice oh yep. Lita. okay um all right I think that sort of covered the main things I wanted to talk about with rough housing I have a question that I ask all guests on the podcast and that is if you can share with us if there has been a book that has changed you or your life in some way can you tell us tell us about it and what it was
0: mm. it's funny I found this um there's two books. One was called Running on Empty. I remember in a really difficult season, I was on a forum. I can't even remember what forum it was on Facebook. And someone mentioned the book Running on Empty. And it was about childhood emotional neglect. And I went and downloaded that audiobook and I started making sense of myself. It's like the unseen trauma. And I really, when you start learning about childhood emotional neglect, it's the things that didn't happen in your childhood with no shame or blame on parents in previous generations. It just is the fact that most parents, you know, most of our parents and their parents could not listen to tears, tantrums, meltdowns, anger, rage. We were often left alone to cry, right? Because it was so normalized, sent to timeout, smacked was so, you know, being smacked, spanked was so normalized um you know our feelings disregarded stop being silly be tough you're fine all of this stuff childhood emotional neglect yeah it just it changed me um so I really recommend that book to a lot of people I can't remember her name and the other one that really ties I was just gonna say I'll find the
1: author and link it in the show notes for anyone yeah yeah
0: and the other one was adult children of emotionally immature parents So again, a really amazing one for making sense of yourselves. Um, You know, a lot of us were just, a lot of us are emotionally immature parents. I certainly was starting out. It wasn't until I found aware parenting and then in time conscious parenting that I started um, becoming more emotionally mature. And I am still on that journey every day. You know, this is the reality is that, you know, to build emotional intelligence in our kids, we've got to build it for ourselves. So, you know, that's a journey. And yeah, it takes a lot of self-compassion because we're going to mess it up and have some yes. of really tough days
1: yeah i shared this quote the other day actually now it's so relevant it said i read it somewhere and it said what you don't realize when you're a child is that you're also watching your parents grow up as you yes. grow up and i thought yes. oh that rings so true and yeah and yeah nice to think about mm-hmm. okay so i will link both of those books both sound incredible no doubt people will be interested to check them out and Alita, if people would like to connect with you or follow you, perhaps you can share with us where they can find you.
0: Yeah, my best uh, best place to follow me is on Instagram at Alita Blanchard underscore Parent Coach, and it's A L I T A Blanchard, uh, or the aware Wonderful.
1: All right, and I'll share both these details too.
0: Beautiful. Thank you so much
1: for making the time to come in and talk. I feel like we. Potentially could have segued there into about 10 other conversations. (laughs) So we
0: might see you again if you're open to that.
1: (laughs) Um, But I really appreciate your time today.
0: Mm, Thank you so much, Jackie. I so appreciate being here to spread the message of conscious parenting. Wonderful. Thank you. Thank you.
1: Thanks for joining me and listening to this week's episode of the podcast. If you've enjoyed this content and are looking to dive deeper into the support that The Kind Parenting Company offers parents and caregivers, you will love the range of programs we have available. The range includes online programs for supporting baby and toddler sleep, most suitable for babies aged 0 to 24 months, and also Toddler Life, which is a guide for those raising children aged 2 to 4 years. Each program comes with access to video and audio files, as well as the opportunity to join the community forums. Podcast listeners receive 20% off all programs. Simply visit the Kind Parenting Company website and use the code KPCPODCAST20. That's KPCPODCAST20 at checkout. Hold
0: up.